Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Well, thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, dear listener, for being with us again on another exciting edition of The Coaching Show. Each and every week, bringing you people that you need to know about, people doing something interesting, pioneers in the field of coaching, or just aren't interesting folks. Today, we uh, will be uh, yet another delightful episode. Uh, I'm here as I am each week. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I think I forgot that part. With uh, Would would it be fair to call you a co-host, a co-creator, a uh, 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 business Aaron, Aaron boy, pool boy. You know, <laughs> how, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go with this? <laughs> that would be the dulcet tones of Alex Terranova. He's a professional certified coach. It says so right on his wall. Alex, uh, we were just talking a moment ago. Now you spent the entire year last year, 365 days or however many there were, uh, yeah. cause you know, the whole calendar thing, it's confusing. Uh, you spent all of those days on a plant-based lifestyle, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Vegan, essentially, or vegetarian. Yep. Yep. Yeah, vegan, vegan. Vegan. Yeah. So you didn't, someday we'll have to have the argument about whether honey is allowed in a vegan diet, but not today. Um, what I want to talk about is you've, you've gone off the rails. It's March <laughs> and you've lost your mind. So, so I decided at the end of the, I felt, Vegan just works for me. I feel better than I've ever felt. It just works for me in ev- so many different ways that I could that I could speak to. But uh, at the end of the year, I decided, you know what? I want to be able to live my life and I want to feel good in my body. And I had so many breakthroughs around health and my relationship to food and my relationship to my body that I decided, you know, once a week, one meal a week, I'm going to allow myself whatever I want. And so over the course, we're in what? We're recording this. It's March 3rd. Over the first two months, maybe like two, maybe like, you know, two or three times a month I've done it. So I haven't even used that quote unquote free meal every week because it didn't feel like it. But uh, I have a friend in town and she has never been to San Diego. And I just let go for three days. So instead, so there was that overlap. Technically, I only, there was like, you know, I ate non-vegan on Sunday and then Monday's a new week. So, oh, there's my again. But then I did it again uh, yesterday and I had, so for the first time in 14 months, I had pizza, I had nachos, I had gelato, I had charcuterie, um, I had donuts. I'm like, I had, you're, Christopher, you're on mute. You're like, it's, it's almost like you're speechless, but you're on mute. I had things that were breaded with eggs, like onion rings and um, ranch. It's a good thing that was on mute. I said a lot of bad words. What <laughs> in the hell is going on at your house? Who is this? Who is this vixen? And why is she? <laughs> we, we just, we, we just went on some, you know, I, you got to show somebody a good time if they're going to come to San Diego for the first time. And so some good restaurants, some good food. And I, you know, I thought about it and I went, I really had this thought that I was like, I, you know, I shifted this relationship. There's not a going back. I'm like excited today to be vegan again, right? I'm not like, oh, I got to eat that. You know, all the pizza that was left over went in the freezer. You know, it's not like sitting in the fridge waiting to be eaten. All the extra donuts are going in the trash. No, no, no. no. Do you have my address? 
Just, oh, you, 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 if you saw them, they're like the tops are eaten off. I was my, when, when my, my friend, another friend saw me eating these donuts, she was like, you look like a Neanderthal. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I mean, I just let go, you know, that's a good friend right there to tell you when you look like a Neanderthal. Um, a star. I, I gotta say though, yeah. while it, these things were good in the moment, I slept horrible the last few days, like, you know, un couldn't sleep well, body feels terrible, like woke up this morning, feel like I basically I'm walking around, feel like I have, you know, a, a, a burrito in my belly, like 24 uh -huh. seven for the last three days. So I would say while it was great in the moment, it's not worth it as like a continuing decision. And I'm excited to feel good again. Well, uh, that's exciting. I thought, um, you know, I just got back from a, a week-long vacation, my first travel in a year. And I, I here's what I want you to know. The big, you this ba is the big learning. You're going to show us bathing suit pictures too, right? You have those for us? Swimsuit pics? <laughs> don't, be, no. don't be ridiculous. Here's the, here's the thing I want you to know. So uh, have you been in an airport lately? Uh, only to pick somebody up. So no, yes. not really. So I went to the airport and did the whole thing, right? Yeah. And you know, I'm fancy. So I'm like in my upper class, you know, elite line and my TSA pre-check and everything's all dialed in, right? But here's what I found. The airport, totally empty, right? No lines anywhere, just empty. You know, a few people, like maybe half a load on the plane, just empty. Here's what I learned. You know, those people at the airport who are grumpy and upset because and we think it's because there are so many people that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. No people, same attitude. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. It wasn't the people we thought all this time, oh, these poor people have to deal with all of us. And that was the thing. No, no. I got That's scolded. What? I got scolded. I was the only person in line in the first class TSA. I got status line. I got scolded. Because you what? Apparently I wasn't, I didn't arrive early enough. What, how is early enough? Because I usually get to the airport in San Diego at the time that my flight is boarding. Yeah, see, you shouldn't do that for <laughs> sure. But I was, I was an hour early for a two hour oh, flight. Wow. And I thought, you know, this is overkill, but I'm going to like respect yeah. and distance and mask and everything. And then, uh, no, I got scolded for because apparently I should have been there 90 minutes early. Whoa. Now, I want to be clear, it took me exactly seven minutes to get to the gate. So everything was fine. But, yeah. uh, it's golden. All right. Uh, wait, are you going to tell us about your trip? Is that it? That's what we got from it. I'm going to get to our guest. I feel like it's enough jibber jabber already. Although you All do right. look good for a guy who has eaten like crap. You look good. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there anything else before we get to our. No, our, I mean, look, we're about to talk to, you know, someone who uh, is like the happiness guy. I'm not, I mean, it's not how he calls himself, but I'm referring to him. He's like the happiness coach executive happiness coach and you just went to a place where you should have been happy you know cancun but like you don't want to talk about it which makes me suspect of what's going on <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe maybe he he's he's a coach maybe we'll get him to have you know pull some stuff out of you he is a coach he's uh known as the executive happiness coach in fact he's registered that so don't try and steal it he's a global executive coach a health and wellness coach an author international speaker and a troublemaker um his passion is creating a happier world. Founder and past president of his local ICF chapter, as well as a regular speaker and volunteer for global and regional coaching conferences. 
builds multiple credentials, including a professional certified coach credential. You can find him at theexecutivehappinesscoach.com. Welcome to our microphones and our camera, our Zoom camera, Jim Smith. Hello, sir. Hello. I was listening to that conversation with quite a bit of fascination. Alex, I, uh, in about six months, I'm going to hit 30 years of being vegan-ish. 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 <laughs> it's a... It's a term my son used to describe me a long time ago because uh, I'm vegan. I totally get what you talk about with the body. Man, don't it stay so good. But they come back to you like they're, they're in your body and then they want to <laughs> claw their way out. Kind of like, you know, like, kind of like aliens. It's like, they just let me out, right? Um, yeah, you'll feel it. You'll feel it. When you say vegan-ish, what does that mean? What's your, so it's like, what, once in a while you... Tell us your food crimes. Okay, so <laughs> the reason the reason I went vegan was because of health. Not because I, you know, went to a slaughterhouse and, and viewed the cruelty to animals. I think that's a concern in the world. So, but but I did it, I did it more so that I would live longer. So I'm not one of those people who, you know, my friends go to a restaurant, I'm with them. And I want the soup and, and it's a, it's a vegetable soup. And, and the server says, well, it's made with a chicken broth. Well, a militant vegan would say, what? You have a vegetable soup that's not made with a vegetarian broth. I totally do not want to take it away from me. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, okay, it's, it has no actual chicken, just chicken broth. I'm good. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and the other thing is that um, I grew up, in, um, in, an, in an ethnic family. And there's certain, you know, ethnic foods that I have to have. So on St. Patrick's Day, I always have a corned beef sandwich because I'm Irish. <laughs> I, you just can't avoid it. And the neighborhood I grew up in was very heavily Polish. And so one of my favorite comfort foods in the entire world is charred, charred till it's cancerous, kielbasa. You slice it, you grill it, it's black. It's so good. So like usually one time a year, I got to have like a smoked sausage sandwich and then I'm good for like a year, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine. That's, Does it that's look like one of Alex's donuts is what we want to know. Yeah. <laughs> after you're done. I think there's some, but I, I love it. I love hearing this because I think there's really something to essentially somebody asked me yesterday, they were like, wait, but are you still vegan? I was like about 90 to 95%. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, yes, there's some, when I drink bloody Mary's there's like clam juice in there and I'm not going to like send it back or, you know, to your vegan. Um, but 90 to 95%. And I love how you describe it as terms you've done this a long time is that it's really possible to have the both and you get to live your life. You get to enjoy something that you really love, but you also get to extend for your, you know, your health. I did it for, it wasn't for health. It was that, I mean, I guess you could say it was for health because I felt terrible in my body all the time. Right. I always felt, you know, like a big bag of dog dung and I didn't want to feel like that wow. anymore. Okay. <laughs> all right. I yeah. I want to get, I want to steer <laughs> gently away from the Christopher vegan. doesn't want to be a vegan. He's like, yeah, let's get out of this conversation before they recruit me to their cult. <laughs> All right. So Jim, trying to bring some decorum back into our, into our lives here. Um, here's the thing that I was thinking about. This is a terrible time to be a happiness coach. 
you know, first of all, first of all, it's got to be it's got to be a tough thing to be a happiness coach, because what do you do on your bad days? Right. You have to like hide from people because you're off brand. Right. Yeah. Then we get this freaking pandemic and people like me and Alex are housebound and making ourselves and other people miserable. And, you know, all of us are ready for this thing to be over. Don't you want to change brands quickly? (laughs) You know. Exactly the opposite. This is what I've been training for for the past couple of decades. Uh, the yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important to put out there right away that while while happiness is part of my brand, that that's the emotion that I chose to use. Uh, my work is really about dealing with all the emotions. Executive, the executive part, right? You go into the corporate world and. Emotions are that thing we don't talk about, except except when some Yahoo comes back from his MBA program and says, yeah, you know, we had this professor who was talking about emotional intelligence, Richard Boyatzis, Daniel Goleman, it's a theory. And a lot of leaders think, yeah, it's a theory, but we don't do emotions here. And of course, one of the things that come out really powerfully during this pandemic year is the people in charge who don't do emotions they're having a horrible time of it. Yeah, I know. I because, used to work for those guys. Well, I've, I've worked for some of them, right? I, I used to be one before I discovered discovered all this in my late 20s, thank goodness. Um, but a lot of my work is about, let, like, let's get in touch with emotions. Let's, let's work with all of them. Anger serves us. Fear serves us. Sadness serves us. Each one of those makes us human in some way. And people in leadership roles need to be able to hold the space. They need to be able to recognize and manage their own emotions. And they need to be able to recognize and manage other people's emotions and honor them. And the happiness part is simply because it's not a, it's not a place to live, happiness, because we also need righteous anger and dignity. And, you know, we need, we need to to be able to push back when things aren't right. But it wouldn't it be nice if when we want to, we can visit happiness on purpose. Like we know how to get there. Yes. All right. What's the, so, you know, we're talking to a few thousand coaches theoretically, or, or at least two. And, um, What's the one thing, if you, could, if you could wave your magic wand and give all of our coaches listening one thing to take on in our coaching practice, what would you have us take on to either access our own or other people's happiness more clearly, more directly? One thing? We'll take up to 20. I'm just trying to, well, I'm just trying to focus because I'm, I'm imagining that you've learned so much in your career as a coach that there's something that is sort of a common stumbling block or starting place for, for many of your clients. And I'm wondering if you'd share that with us. I think there's one thing that emerges very fast for me, and that is um, breath. Watch your breath. Uh, besides working in the emotional space, I do a lot of somatic work with my clients. Um, if if you want to um, improve your executive presence, or you want to shift 
kind of the the mood of the of the of the room or of the organization you know the culture of the organization it starts with what you're putting out and I, I can't tell you how many times I have engaged with a client where maybe our first, second, third conversation it usually comes up fast. And I will say something like this to them. So I invite you for a moment to just sit still and, and watch your breath. And, and so they're quiet for a minute and then they open their eyes and they look at me. And I say, so, so what did you know? What do you mean? Well, where, where did your breath go? When you breathe it in, where did it go? I don't know. Like I'm sitting across from them. I can see them, you know, really, really tight up in their chest, or I can see that they're very relaxed, but, but, but they aren't aware of anything below their chin. And if you aren't aware of anything below your chin, you, you can't, you can't manage your emotional space or anybody else's. So uh, the reason those people are being unreasonable is because you're showing up in a particular energy every time and you don't know. You don't know that you are a toxic force walking around your organization. You don't know. So breath would be my one thing. Yes. Learn to watch it, watch where it goes. Notice that different breathing is connected with every emotion and the degree to which you want to be in a particular place, you want to be calm, use a calm breath. If you want to be righteously indignant, we can create that too. That's so good. I noticed that even, and sorry, I know Alex wants in here, but uh, I noticed that even when you said breath, I like suddenly- You breathed. Breath, right. Mm -hmm. and, and my shoulders came down about three inches. Yeah. Okay, Alex. Yeah. I. I, I'm thinking about how when you know when I when I first trained as a coach and Christopher I think or one of the other trainers shared with me, you know your emotions are like a pipe, and if you don't let the things flow through, I call it emotionally constipated at this point. But if you don't yeah. let the things, you know, if you don't let all the emotions flow through the pipe, they block it up, and then the emotions you want, like joy, get can't get through, get stuck, and that really resonated because. Six years ago, I didn't know how to experience joy, really. Um, definitely didn't know how to like really like be with it in the moment and really get the full extent of it. But I also didn't know how to be with sadness or anger. And the it's fun, right? Like as you start working through these things, that pipe essentially. So now sadness comes out way more powerfully. Anger, I'm still working on a little bit, but like the joy gets to show up a lot more. And all of a sudden it's like, life becomes yeah there might be some more emotional labor the happiness the anger but we get to experience this joy how do you you know i signed up for a coaching course because i wanted that transformation right and and i and i knew that was part of it when you're walking into corporate or executives how do you get them to see that possibility well it, you're probably not going to learn that secret from me i have to be frank uh, <laughs> when i when I first started coaching, I, I had a different label. Um, this brand, um, the Executive Happiness Coach, this brand for me arose out of some life experience, specifically some tragedy that I experienced. Uh, and as a result of some past training in positive psychology and so on, I realized that I was moving through that tragic space 
with a lot more resilience than many people around me who had experienced something similar. Uh, so it, it, it ended up becoming my brand and something I learned probably within the first couple of years after I started calling myself the executive happiness coach was that it was a fabulous brand that self-filters. So what happens is I meet somebody at a networking event and they say, oh, can I have your card? And I give them my card and they read it. And, and sometimes they start asking me questions and they're fascinated and they want to know well, what does this mean and how does it work and how can we work together? Other people, I can see them read the card. I can watch the shift in their face and watch them disconnect and within seconds. They're looking beyond me. They're scanning the room for anywhere to go other than to have to stay in this conversation with me and talk about happiness. Really? So I thank God every day that I rebranded the people who don't want to hear it. They just leave. So, so this is the way I say it. And, and actually the piece of advice I give to a lot of people, a lot of coaches working on a brand, it's like, decide what you want to be and then show up that way. Here's the thing. Um, your job is not to convert the pagans. It's to find the disciples, find the disciples and turn them into apostles. I know that's a Christian reference, right? But, but it's not my job to go out and find all the unhappy executives and, and beat them up about it. That's, there's, there's other people who do that kind of clinical work. My job is to find the people who say, well, you know, I understand this happiness thing. It really pays off, but I don't know how to do it. And then they find me. And it's like, oh, you can help me. Yes. You already believe that it works. I can help you figure it out. But if you don't believe it works, I, you're just not my customer. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's great. I think that's a great, I mean, I'm, I'm Jim, how long have you been a coach for? 22 years. Okay. So you, so you and Christopher are veterans and I like yeah. to say I'm, I, you know, six years in, I still feel like I'm in my infancy in terms of a career, right? Six years is, is pretty short for career. Um, and I think like that is, I wish that I got that right up front that like, Hey, you have to do you and know what your brand is and then not try to go. It's, and it's not a, it's not a, um, like a niche thing. It's like a, it's like a, a trust, faith, authentic thing. Um, yeah. Right. New coaches trying to be like you or Christopher or whoever. Right. Because they see, oh, these guys are successful or these women are successful coaches versus like, you know, I don't need to be the people that take that. I love the, the pagan. I don't need to go recruit people that are not interested in this. I just have to go find the people who want what I already have. But you'd actually have to be authentic with what you already have. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a great that's a great lesson. What's the other. Um, how, what's the other way you go and find, like, how do you go and find your people for, for the coaches that are listening, that are like, listen to this show for, to get better, to improve, to learn, mm -hmm. you know, 
not Christopher's enemies that listen for ammunition to hold on him later. Um, <laughs> what do those coaches need to go about like finding their tribe? A tribe isn't oh. the best word. We're not, I'm not supposed to use that word anymore. I've learned that. Um, where do you, to really? find their, as I look, I, I, I want to respect people. So if people say they don't like it, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. So how do we find our people? Like, how do we find those people that want what we have? How have you done that? Well, uh, you know, I'm not a marketing expert and, and there's, we know there's 700 different ways you can market. So here's the ones that work for me. Number one is, uh, have a strong brand. So we've done that part already. Uh, I do a lot of speaking and I find that that way I don't have to go out and necessarily find people. I just have to find audiences where I know the kind of people that I want to work with might be sitting in it. Um, so I do a lot of talks and try, you know, I, I make an attempt to enroll people from the stage, literally just, you know, permission to write, let's stay in touch. I do, um, I do only a monthly newsletter, so I don't do anything in marketing experts say it's monthly and it's long, uh, rather than weekly and short. And I have had people contact me literally years after they've seen me on stage at a conference to say, you know, Jim, I've had your 13 principles of happiness on my wall, or I took your card that day and I stuck it on the wall because I, I used the back of my card for tips on happiness or leadership, right? I've had it on my wall and somebody came into my office today and they're looking for a coach. I, I talk to a lot of human resources audiences because they're kind of they're kind of a gateway. They're the gatekeepers, but they're also a gateway into that. So somebody will come into their office and say, you know, I, I really want somebody to work with Susie or I'm looking for a coach. Um, and there I am. And writing, writing in general. So whether it's my blog or my stuff I post in social media or the monthly essay I put out, it's a way of being in conversation with people. And I use that word very deliberately, conversation, to move with. So these people who I met at a conference and call me up a couple of years later, they start talking to me like we're friends, like we know each other. And I've had maybe five seconds of interaction with them three years ago because they've been reading a stuff and they've been reacting to it. And I share personal stuff and I share challenges and I share tips. And so, you know, when they show up, it's warm. It's warm. Um, it, another advantage to having been in business a long time, and I'm sure Christopher would agree with this, and hopefully you will soon, Alex, is that when you do good work with your clients, um, while the ICF Code of Ethics says, I can't talk about it, doesn't mean you can't. And I always, always encourage my clients if they feel comfortable to post something on LinkedIn or share a testimonial with me or tell your friends, and they do. And so I'll get people showing up and saying, you know, I, I saw you on stage or, I had a conversation with so-and-so and they said, if I'm looking for a coach, I should call you. 
Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. Really clear. I'm sorry, was there more? I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Um, uh, I want to I want to talk for a moment, at least, about your pioneer spirit in the coaching profession. Because, as you say, you've been around for more than twenty years in a profession that's arguably thirty-ish years old. But yeah. um, you're also founder of your local ICF chapter, as well as the past president of that. I wonder if right. you would speak to the benefits of having, forming, creating, participating in the local ICF chapter, and especially maybe given your longevity, like, was there a different purpose or reason or value when you were a new coach than today? Hmm. Great question. Um, so 30 seconds of history, be, before I left the corporate world and, and started as a freelancer, um, 20 years I spent in the corporate space, I started off in operations and then moved into sales and marketing and finance. Believe it or not, I've got an undergrad in finance um, and did a lot of administrative stuff, real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So late in my career, I moved into human resource, which ended up being the launching point when I, when I went independent after my fourth corporate layoff. But that's, that's another workshop. Um, so when I, um, when I came into the space, um, you know what, I've lost, what was the question? <laughs> what is the question? Sure, no problem at all. And, and we can take it any direction you want. I was, no, just, no I was thinking about coaches at different stages of their- um, Oh, different stages, right. And Founding a chapter. chapter. Right. So, so, so if you heard that, I had been in all these different disciplines. And one of the things I learned along the way, when you move into a new functional area, and suddenly you're networking with a different group of people, different professional sets. The fastest way to get to know people when you're kind of come, because I would come into these things like I was already at an executive level, right? I, I came into HR as a VP. I, I didn't have the background. 
join an organization and immediately say, hey, I volunteer, what can I do? And standing at the registration desk as people check in for a meeting is like the single best way to meet everybody in the organization and to be seen. So the primary reason I joined the group of coaches who would get together for coffee back in the late 1990s uh, was to, to be seen, to think of myself as a coach and to meet other coaches. I mean, this is long before we were all focused on credentialing and so on. Um, the reason I started the chapter, well, I was, I was one of five co-founders. Um, two of whom left coaching soon after. Uh, three of us are still around. The reason we formed the chapter was because of the emerging sense that this was going to be a profession, not just a path, that it was going to be a profession. The ICF was creating a code of ethics. They were, I mean, they had rolled out the competencies and, and uh, it was long before the requirement that you be credentialed. But it was, again, emerging. And we felt like we really wanted to be there. You know, taking the role of, uh, any officer in an organization is just, a, again, a really powerful way to be seen. And frankly, you know, when you, when you do stuff like that, it, it speaks loads on your resume, your professional resume going forward. The fact that you founded this or you served in this role, you sat on this board. For me, if my target market are leaders and executives, I want to make sure that there's things in my background that speak to that, even though I'm outside of the traditional executive space. I'm also a board certified health and wellness coach, which I got to serve my executive clients. But if I wanted to show up in that space, like if that was my primary offer, I'd want to make sure that I had things in my background that relate, you know, I'd probably talk more about my yoga practice or um, you know, the fact that I'm vegan. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Vegan is. Yeah. yeah. Vegan ish. Vegan ish. Yeah. Does that and, make sense? And is there at this stage of your career, whereas, as Alex so charitably said, we're veterans, is there still value for you in participating in the local ICF chapter or have you sort of moved on yeah. or? How you well, actually I served in the presidency role and then like most good presidents, I, Blend it into the wallpaper, you know, like, like, let me disappear so you can take over. Um, a lot of stuff happened in the yes, coaching you're, world. You're right. A lot of good presidents do do that. Sorry. Go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know we were going to go there and let's not. Um, I did. And, and then a lot of churn happened in the, uh, in the profession. You know, I, I mean, a lot of us would get together and talk about the ICF. Um, during that time and talk about how the ICF was in there like preteen or in early teenage years, hormones were raging, you know, everything, everybody else was an idiot. And there was just like, and you know, one day they'd be like the best professional organization in the world. And the next day they'd be like, what the hell are they doing? And the, frankly, the ICF made a decision at one point that I think was kind of like taking a bazooka and shooting your leg off. Um, and our chapter decided to go along with it 
And our membership went from a peak of close to 200 to less than 50. And it was, there's a whole history there with the ICF, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and it was because it was because they were enforcing standards that I don't think belonged there. Somebody on the board reached out to me and said, can you help? And, and, and so I stepped back in as an advisor. And then suddenly I was helping with programming and I was kind of coaching the president and uh, one thing led to another. And, you know, so I, I did a lot of stuff. I recently, actually in December, I stepped away again for the second time. <laughs> and they gave me a big basket full of chocolate and coffee. Oh, no. oh look, two of your favorite vices, I'm assuming. Well, and beer too, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this broadcast. <laughs> uh, we've said beer here before, I think. Okay. Alex talks about it, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what happens. They've, they've built back up and so on. But there, there is value also in kind of hanging around as a veteran or revisiting as a veteran. There, is, there are some other veterans in our chapter too who now bring historical perspective. Like, oh, you want to try that? That's great. And this is what happened the last time you tried that. So I'm not telling you you shouldn't. Just know that there is history and that might inform your decision. So I want to I want to ask you about some something else. But really quick before we wrap up what you were just talking about for people that are, again, new in the profession and, you know, haven't been doing this as long. How do you find your way onto boards? Like, how do you find like, how do you even you know, broach that space. Alex, have you ever, have you ever been part of a professional association uh, in, any, the, in any career path? The ICF, I think uh, when I was in the restaurant biz, I used to open restaurants for a living. I was in the National Restaurant Association, but that's about it. Okay. Okay. Well, I believe what I'm about to say is a near universal truth. Okay. I, I'm not going to say all, <laughs> but it's a near universal truth. And that is, We're ready. there is a perception, there is a perception in nearly every volunteer professional organization that the people in charge totally have it and are an exclusive club. But the reality for most of them is they are treading water, trying to do their best and wishing other people would raise their hand. When I was when I was the president, I've been president of a several organizations because I raised my hand. What I also learned when I was president of our local Sherm chapter back in the in the mid to late '90s was that the vast majority of people hear the plea for volunteers and go, "Wow, I, you know, I wish I was that good." But you know, if I volunteered, they probably wouldn't want me. The truth is that when members of the board go out and say, you know, I've been watching you and I think you would make a great addition to our programming team, people go, me? Really? Oh, you know, like, you like me? And they'll volunteer. And then the next thing you know, you're grooming them as a successor to the presidency. So my key piece of advice for most people is, um, if, you're, if you're on a board, Ask people to join because you need the help. And if you're not, if you're not part of the team, if you're then volunteer, pick something that piques your interest and works within your time frames. 
and approach somebody and say, I'd like to volunteer. Most of the time, I promise you, they will say, great, thank you. We have like 17,000 hours of backlog. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're laughing. Uh, that's the thing I wanted to move on to was um, mentor coaching. You supporting okay. the ICF, you supporting coaches and their growth, getting credentialed. Um, I think the thing that I'm most curious about is what do you notice is like the, maybe the thing that's uh, in the way for most coaches, you know, in getting their PCCs or even, you know, and whatever the, getting their ACC, getting their PCC, just getting their credentials. I, I think for most people, the thing that's most in the way is uh, their belief in themselves, their self-talk. Um, you know, am I that good? You know, I've, I've, I've attended programs with a number of different coaching schools, and I've seen some really, really fabulous onstage coaching. And of course, part of uh, most coaching programs these days um, even if even if in the before times they were on ground, they've gone virtual now, and then it, there's teleclasses. So you know, I've, I've sampled in and out of those, and there's often demo coaching by the trainers, and they're so good. A huge chunk of the student base is going, oh, "I wish I could be that good." And I see a huge part of my role. For the, for the students that I work with is, is to help them see what they have to build on. Um, I'm, I'm very, along with positive psychology, I'm very grounded in appreciative inquiry and self-determination and you know, a growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work, a whole lot of disciplines that focus on Let's look at what's right and good, what's working before we talk about the deltas and the things that could improve. If somebody sends me a recording, this is the way I say it to them, and you're probably going to laugh. Um, unless the client actually died during the coaching as a direct result of something you did, they probably took away value. The lens you're using to view your own work is very different from the client's lens. The client is like, hey, I got something. I had a breakthrough. I have an action to do. Even if you weren't doing very good coaching, the client still left with something. So we start there. You didn't kill them. Okay, let's build on that. And then by the time we're doing our, you know, fifth or sixth observed coaching call, they're showing up and they're able to say, well, I did this and I did this and I did this. And I'm like, yes, you did. Is there opportunity to improve? Absolutely. I've got close to 5,000 hours and I still every day am studying other people's work and striving to get better. You'll never be there. You just have to believe that you're good enough. There's so much gold in that. I love it. Um, you mentor coach for at least three ICF accredited schools and you support mm -hmm. people, uh, 
When when people think about the mentor coach requirement to become a PCC, I assume is mostly what you're working with, although it could be ACC or MCCs. What's the yeah. uh, what's the way that people work with you? I mean, do you are you sort of a gun for hire per session to review one session, or do you sell a package, or how do people work with you? Uh, to work with me, uh, I I I built my offer around kind of that ten hour requirement. Um, you know, I so either people are assigned to me as a student in one of the programs that I that I am on faculty for, or if they're approaching me directly, I've got a couple of people I'm working with right now. Um, I, I don't I don't sell it as my primary offer. That's not how I make my living. But I do it as kind of a, a side thing. So um, if you come to me and you want mentor coaching, here's yeah. here's here's my thing. You know, we set up eight to nine conversations. Several of those are going to be observed coaching. You can bring a client. We can do it live or you can send a recording to me. We're also going to spend some of our time going through uh, and studying the code of ethics and the core coaching competencies and how those can be showing up in what you do as a coach. Oh, so important. Not, you know, in coaching conversations. But I, I love, love the, the new core coaching competencies. Um, because there's so much in number two, you know, embodies a coaching mindset. It's a reminder that showing up in a coaching conversation isn't just like, okay, I'm going to get off this phone call. I'm going to go to this one now. It's, it's all that work and that study and that practice and your own breath work and your own yoga work and your own looking at your personal values and, and you know, exercising all those muscles, emotional intelligence. All that is what you're bringing to the session. You've got to work on that. It's a um, great reminder because yeah. often we bring in, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes people at my house yell at each other. And so to leave that environment, especially in the pandemic and try and get into your coaching mindset, sometimes it's sort of like, where did I leave that? Which drawer did I put it in my desk? Yeah. 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 So, you know, you need to be able to find your, your center. And, and that's all that. So, but yeah, when I'm fighting with my family, no, I'm kidding. I thought, I thought, the well, inter- it might help there too, Christopher. <laughs> I'm going to start by breathing. Um, I wondered if, uh, I thought uh, for some reason, I thought you had a group organized for mentor coaching as well. So we talked about one-on-one individually. We talked about one-on-one in sort of a group or building around so that you can improve uh, skills and scores. Uh, but yeah. do you also work with groups? Well, I, I do work with groups. Uh, I, I think back to that point where I said, you know, I don't I don't lead with this. It right. takes a and I'll be frank. It takes a lot of energy yes, and time. To, to solicit a bunch of people, all who want the same thing at the same time. So I, what I created years ago, and this works for me, um, is a build your own group model. So if somebody comes to me and they want mentor coaching. Uh, here's my rate. And here's what it'll look like. And sometimes they say, okay, fine. How do I send you money on PayPal? Uh, other people say, well, you know, and I say, well, did you look at the group model? So if you, if you go out and recruit some other people, each additional person is only a fraction of it. And then if you split that up, it'll cost less for all of you. I've had that happen many times. Somebody says, I want to work with you, Jim. And then I say, well, fine. And they recruit four other people and they come back with a group of five. And it's lovely. Um, 
so that's that's the way I build groups. I don't recruit them myself. If they occur organically, if we build um, it, it will come. I Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I yeah. love I love that you just put that in. I I know so many you know newer coaches that really spend a lot of time building groups, and then you find out they have all these people at like this very low rate, and it's like they did all this work, and it's actually not really an effective model. And I've actually done. I didn't have a name for it, like your personalized Groupon. I've tried to do that a few times. <laughs> And probably only twice, you know, two, one or two times I've had somebody that really wanted to work with me and my rate was too high one-on-one. And they said, well, what about a group? And I said, look, I'm not going to go, you know, recruit for a group. But if you want to, with every person you put in, I'll lower your rate by such and such. Right. right. I just, um, and it hadn't worked, but hearing you say it, that it has was just a nice reminder that like, Hey, sometimes you actually have to do things more than once or twice before they work. You might have to actually try it five or six times. And, you know, maybe you just haven't found that right person yet who's actually really wants it. And is like, no, I, you know, but it, I'm thinking right now I have a client or two who the money is just a tough thing, right? Like they're playing yeah, yeah. a really, the money's a steep slope for them. And they might be interested in this option that they could want to continue to work with me. And could they create something so they can? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's important. Uh, I, I think it's important to find ways to offer access to people for coaching uh, that isn't necessarily about just giving it away. Yeah. Um, so there's, there, there's like there's a couple things I could, if I could offer this. Um, there's a couple things I do. One, um, I found myself too often saying yes to people who couldn't afford me, and then I I'd be in resentment. It's like oh, I can't wait till I'm done with you, right? Um, and what I did in, what I did in response to that, uh, gosh, 10 years ago is I decided that I was going to offer scholarships for coaching. And the way that works for me is I know how much capacity I have. I hold two scholarship slots and a scholarship slot might be, it might be an individual who doesn't have any money. It might be somebody who's unemployed. Um, I've worked with people in nonprofit organizations who have no education budget and they don't make that much money, you know? And so the way it works is, um, I will work with you for up to six months. If assuming I like you, you know, like if I don't like you, it doesn't matter. Um, but if I think we have chemistry, I'll work with you for up to six months at whatever rate you and I agree on. So I've done that with new coaches who aren't charging anything yet. And I say, well, what do you charge your clients? Okay. And they give me, and I say, I'll work with you for the rate you're paying. And if as a result of coaching or getting better, you change your rate, then, you know, you can increase what you pay to me. Um, sometimes it's very little. I've worked with unemployed folks who say, eh, you know, okay. Okay. Um, and what I find is that the degree of commitment those folks have to their coaching sometimes blows away the commitment that I'm getting from uh, a C-suite person whose company is paying lots of money for their coaching, but they don't have any skin in the game. So it's, it's fun. Um, the other way I open up access is um, uh, two years at the beginning of 2019, I ran an experiment for the year. I made an experimental offer based on a, an, a chance conversation I had with another coach 
um, I took an idea and turned it into reality for me. So I created an unlimited coaching offer. This I got to hear it, about. It sounds pretty cool, but this, this, is, this is how it works, okay? Um, unlimited coaching. You can have as many sessions as you want in the next 10 months that with a 10-month package, you know, kind of like designed to be like, you know, end before the year. Um, it's a, it was a flat rate. Um, the, the rate, the rate I offer it at now is 2,500 for the whole year. Unlimited coaching for the whole year. Well, here's, here's the twist. Your sessions are 15 minutes. So what happens is what happened in the first year was I had, I did a trial with a limited number of people. Um, by the end of the year, I spent no more actual time with them than I would have with somebody who had scheduled like once a month sessions for an hour. And the progress they made was phenomenal because they knew my, my tagline for the program at the end of the year, I made a tagline, get in, get out, get outcomes. Oh, beautiful. The people who signed up for it had stuff. And so they knew, okay, within two minutes after I show up, Jim has to understand what I want to work on today. And with five minutes to go, we're already going to be focusing on design. So this is going to be fast. And they, they loved it. I loved it. I saw people make amazing progress. Um, and it was so affordable for them. Like they could not have afforded me for almost a full year at my rack rate. But for a flat rate, um, two of them paid in advance. One gave me installments. Like, okay, that's fine. Um, and so I've kept it going. It's a little side offer. You know, when I find somebody that says, I'd like to work with you and I don't have this kind of a budget, I say, well, would you consider this modality? It changes the way the coaching happens and it makes it accessible to you. So, you know, it just, it's always playing. Like everybody wins. And I think we have to look for those kinds of opportunities. It's brilliant. And that's one of my favorite things about you, Jim, is that you've, you know, you always sort of play a little bit with construction of the coaching session. Most of us, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, you know, even the, even the veterans, like we got into something 20 years ago or something and it worked and we just repeat as opposed to how can this be? What about that? What about this model? I love it. It's been, our time has flown by and it's been great talking with you. Um, I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, I, I know I want to tell people about this tiny URL. I just did it. I went to your website, first of all. We should remind people that's www.theexecutivehappinesscoach, all spelled out, theexecutivehappinesscoach.com. And there's a ton of resources, a ton of information, as well as people can stay in touch with you there. But I also love this tiny URL at tinyurl.com forward slash Y, W H Y, not N O T. Happy, H-A-P-P-Y, tinyurl.com forward slash why not happy. And that's a way to get some free stuff in our mailbox from you, some inspirational and other happiness goodies. But also, you're going to give us 10 practices to nurture happiness and resilience in our life. And frankly, I could use some. I assume we can all use some these days. I'm glad. Is there any sort of a parting thought or parting shot that you'd like to leave all of us with today as you as we move on with our day? Something you'd like a few thousand coaches to know or think about today? So there's a uh, a metaphor that came up in my life last year. Uh, as a result, four years ago, we moved on to a new piece of property with six acres and an abandoned, it was abandoned for 30 years. And 
there was a pond at the back of the property we ignored for four years. The pandemic hit. My daughter says, hey, we can't go anywhere. No soccer games, nothing. How about if we go clear out the pond? So we started on it and we, we dug and we razored things and ugh, it was it was really, really nasty. And by the by the end of the year, we had this gorgeous pond. We actually went ice skating on it this winter. Oh. So for me, mucking out that pond became this huge metaphor for coaching. Because that's what I feel like I do. You know, somebody invites me to come back to their pond and it's like, what pond? Where? You know, all I see is fallen trees and weeds and everything else. Okay, so we get in there and we start we start bringing out smelly things and we just like throw it everywhere. We got to find somewhere to put it and everything else. But if we keep going, what we find is, oh, there's this gorgeous spring fed pond with wildlife and sunshine. But you got to you got to clear out the muck in order to get to it. And I feel like that's what coaching is. It's our so job to be pond muckers. That's so great. And Alex, I checked, but pond mucking coaching is still available. So dot com. <laughs> go ahead and get that for yourself. I'm sorry. I'm got oh. I got it right. I got it right now. It's gone. It's gone. Jim, I've got, <laughs> Jim, I've got a huge smile on my face. You did your job, man. We are happier for your being here and so grateful for your time and your expertise and sharing with us today. That's Jim Smith. You can find him at the executive happiness coach.com, the executive happiness coach, put all the words in.com. You can also find him on the Facebook and the Instagram and every place else as the executive happiness coach. And go get that, go get that little tiny URL for.com forward slash why not happy. And maybe, you know, get some mentor coaching because we could all probably use it. <laughs> Alex Terranova is available at thedreammason.com. Get at his book, Fictional Authenticity. And uh, when's a new one coming out? Do we have a date yet? The new one's out. It's out. The, uh, well, what is it? Why don't you tell a brother? Redefining Masculinity. It's out on Amazon. It's only on Kindle version right now, but the hard copy will be out, I think, later this month. All right. Congratulations. I'm excited about that. I knew that it was coming. I think that you told me it was out and I just don't pay attention. When you talk. We've been talking about it on this podcast. We keep saying it, but redefining masculinity, it's me and I think seven other really great authors. You know, a few of them, some, I think one is like your biggest enemy, but like, he's not a bad guy. <laughs> he's my biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. My biggest friend of me. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's always great to be with you. And I thank you, dear listener, for spending that time with us again, right here on the coaching show, bringing you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, people just plain interesting and pioneers in coaching each and every week. We uh, thank you for your listening and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the coaching show. We will talk to you next week.